0: Hi, this is Heidi McDonald with Publishers Weekly's More to Come podcast, and today I am talking to Paul Gravett, the man at the crossroads, one of the, no, the premier uh, British comics journalist, historian, curator, uh, you know, in the past you've published comics, uh, now you are about to put together uh, an incredibly important uh, re- a, a, um, a exhibit of comics art at the British Library, uh, which is, I think it said that it was the first ever major exhibit of comics art in the UK. Or,
1: yeah, it's it's well, I mean, the first major one. I mean, mm. We've had bits and pieces. Uh, I've been involved with them. Other people have done them, but no one's tried this bigger survey. And it has to be said, no one's really done it within. An institution quite as prestigious as the British Library. That—that that is the exciting thing. And of course, the British Library—it's—it's it's been slightly weird for me because you know I have a what, what's loosely called a collection, but it's essentially a, a huge accumulation, yeah. a sort of uh, an endless tsunami of fantastic right. comics that swamp my house. Um, oh. But uh, of course, the British Library has even more. They have sort of. <laughs> three or four gigantic basements of, you know, back caves full of shelves of not just comics, obviously of everything, because it's a, a legal deposit like the, I guess what you have, the Library of Congress or something, it's equivalent, isn't it, of that? Yeah. And so we can go, have you got that? It says, oh, yes. And like, and we're still finding things, even now. I mean, the exhibition, of course, is is, is sort of hunkered down as in the portcullis has closed. We know what's going in, but we're still finding um, things that, uh, which are making the exhibition really fascinating. Right. And so about... I guess at least about three quarters or so of the exhibition. It's called Comics Unmasked, Art and Anarchy in the UK, which of course has got a little punk reference okay. there. Okay. And the unmasked side, on the one hand, will press the buttons for people that think about comics being superheroes, but of course we're unmasking them. So in other words, we're taking looking below, beneath those capes and cowls, beneath the, the familiar tropes that people think of comics and finding stuff that's more surprising. Um, and um, there's going to be an accompanying book, uh somehow we're doing that at the same time. So It's all a little bit frantic, but it's a, it's, it's a, fantastic, it's a once in a lifetime thing. Wow. I've never done anything so big nothing with such a big budget. I mean, the fact is that ha- I did do, actually, I did do probably even, I would say, perhaps the best exhibition that could have been done about British Comics uh, in Angoulême, mm-hmm. where you and I were, of course, only a yeah. few weeks ago. A few
0: idyllic weeks ago. Yes, yes. Wasn't that wonderful? Oh, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. But uh, what? So when was when was that exhibit? Yeah, blah. that was when that was when
1: the big what is now called the Veso Merbius, previously mm-hmm. the Castro building and previously the CNBDI or the National Center of Comics and Image. That was when it opened with Jacques Long, the cultural minister. And it was in 1990. Britain was the guest country. And I had the chance to create an exhibition there um, called... God save the comics. It was called that in English. <laughs> <laughs> the French know that phrase, mostly from Blick et motimer, those wonderful, that pair of right. Belgian, terribly English, sort of upper-class, um, upper, upper class, um, toppy-nosed uh, characters from Echo P. Jacobs. Right. So they knew the phrase. And it was a, a fantastic show, actually. I'm mean, to be honest with you. It was focused on original art, and we had a fantastic original art. That was back in 1990, so that same A year. lot has happened. A happened since then. But even then, we had people like Alan Moore, Leo Baxendale, Jamie Hewlett, um, Brian Boland, loads of incredible creators came over, Percy Simmons, many others came over for it. And it was a a real culture, culture shock, culture clash really, between the very sophisticated French and the completely unruly Brits. Um, for honestly, I mean, we, we I don't think they've ever really recovered from it. It was a very very <laughs> extraordinary uh, and that exhibition was special but this is, this is not showing as much original artwork. This is focused, of course, on the BL's uh, British Library's own collections which are extraordinary and, but saying that, we're supplementing it with um, some fascinating original artwork and some very exciting um, items from major writers like Neil Gaiman and, and uh, Grant Morrison and others, showing the process, showing, you know, demystifying how comics are made right. and of course it's aimed at a very broad audience because um you know, people will be coming from all over the world to this this venue um and, it, and on top of that it's being designed by dave mckean i mean who wow. else do you- and i don't know if it's a it isn't. It isn't if i tell you um but we can probably tell you um we've got jamie hewlett as in gorillas and tank girl coming up with a brand new character for the poster which was going to be unveiled i think on the 12th of march with a, in a, in a, on a gigantic wow. hanging tapestry thing which is just going will be all over London and I tell you it's just nothing you'd ever expect to have seen in the, in the BL
0: well let me you know let's uh, I mean it sounds fantastic and it sounds like the culmination of a you know kind of a lot of hard work but look le- let's yeah. back up just a little bit i mean mm. i'm 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 interested to hear that the british library does have a huge comics holding because yeah. because it has been kind of an uphill struggle hasn't it i mean here in the u.s uh, obviously we're we're in awe of writers like alan moore and neil gaiman and graham morrison and mm-hmm. and you know all of the great you know british or you know united kingdom writers yeah. uh but the english comic scene itself you know, hasn't is is in some ways behind the United States.
1: Sure. Well we haven't got you know giant corporations like Disney Marvel or Time Warner, or AOL, uh, D.C. Mm, right, right. one thing We do have some British corporations. Random House, of course, have got some graphic novel publishers like Jonathan Cape. And um, we've had, in the past, actually, we were a contender. Uh, we were a very important force for comics. Uh, we published a vast amount of them. Mm-hmm. And we, in fact, so many that we had to hire people from all over the world, from mm-hmm. you know, uh, from South America, from Spain, Italy. Hugo Pratt worked for British Comics and came, came over here to do that. We were a big market and a big producer. You're right to Say we're not that now, and I also like to say that from a lot of people I've, I've spoken to people saying we're doing a show about British comics, and some people have said, uh, "Do you have comics in?" <laughs> because they they kind of assume everyone's working for the DC Vertigo or doing you know, doing stuff for America, and of course we do. We have a lot, and including you know, major people like Raymond Briggs and Percy Simmons and and and, new, and Brian Talbot, who are in many cases you know producing some of their very best. Oh, work absolutely, and making it for initially for UK publishers. Mm-hmm.
0: But now when the when there was a huge English. Publishing scene there, mm. um, it was it was mostly pulp comics though, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as we would kind of consider yes. them. I mean, I know there was a lot so, of uh, yeah,
1: there was a lot lot of kind of genre stuff and you know, funny stuff and and adventure stuff and all the kind of tropes that comics have been stuck in for a long time. But we I mean, we've always had. Um, oddities and eccentrics and stuff that isn't necessarily um hidden away in weird underground time circulation magazines. As you know, this year Uncle Emile Black Fat, who I know is American, we love him, yeah. uh, but he lives here, so he's kind of honorary British. And certainly his strip Leviathan, yeah. that appeared in the Independent for I don't know about let me about seven years or so, was a fantastically eccentric comic, but published in a giant sort of you know highly accessible newsstand newspaper. Um, so in theory of course reaching a, a very large readership and uh-huh. um, that's the kind of those are the kind of oddities and eccentricities that we were highlighting we're also looking very much for um, the byways that have been overlooked um, in terms of small press and zines and underground comics and we're also having a whole section of course about um, sex and erotica uh-huh. because that again has been kind of overlooked to a very large extent and we've got who've worked in in that field too Uh, Well,
0: now, how do you see, I mean, I've been noticing uh, as I monitor, um, you know, the news, and uh, obviously I get a lot of English news, and it just does seem that over the last couple of years, that uh, England has kind of been caught by the wave of um, oh, graphic novels are a yeah. incredibly valid form of literature. Um, yeah. I mean, is that just my perception, or do you see that, is that actually happening?
1: No, that definitely is happening. The literary world here has kind of opened comics up. Um, we need to say, well, obviously, not, not just in England, but across yeah. the UK. I mean, uh, the Edinburgh Book Festival, for example, last year had a, a spectacular uh, program of stuff around graphic novels, including bringing over Chris Ware and Joe Sacco, but having other major UK names, and having... I think this year there's been some turning points especially the the win I, it was actually it was, it was actually for last year's uh, entries of course but a win for um, graphic novels in the costa literary awards right. which are prestigious two dominated, and then marion brian talbot's daughter of her father eyes winning in the biography category it was unheard of. I mean, Yes. It has led, it has to be said, to a huge wave of of lots more graphic novels being nominated. But it's a sign that things are changing, mm-hmm. and there is perhaps some danger that we get somewhat kind of sidetracked to think, right? We've got to push comics as being literature, and somehow become more and more literary, and uh, and go for that as being the the end goal of what comics are. As you know, mm-hmm. as you know, I mean, comics are. Neither literature, nor film, nor art or anything else. They're all these things mixed up and they're their own thing. Right. Um, and th- there, is a, there is a potential risk that we kind of run after that um, credibility too hard. Um, at the same time, of course, the art world is, is more or less opening its doors, but again, um, with quite selectively as to how comics appear there. As you said, this this exhibition is an important step, uh, and it obviously has a literary cachet being in, in the British Library. But I don't see it as being the kind of like a culmination. Actually, I know uh-huh. I'm real too, because I still have other things <laughs> that I want to see happen, whether I do or somebody else does. We've got to get some bigger shows to happen that kind of links in the way to the comics art book from tate because right, everybody right. i show that book to just out as you know from pre university press now everyone says so is there an exhibition that's almost like the first <laughs> question he says to me right, right and i say well i wish i suppose and it, we have a toe in the door there but i'm just not sure if i'm quite gonna i hope i'm gonna live to at least a hundred but who knows if, we're, if i'm going to be around to actually get comic art into somewhere like the tate and that's what we need to have happen here so I mean, that's
0: that's yeah, the that's, next kind
1: of. It's one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the one of the several projects that are that I'm brewing up. But it may not be at the Tate. In fact, I don't know if it will be because they, it may just be too huge a leap for them to take to really acknowledge comic art. It's such a a strange thing. When Crumb. Had um, a big, the biggest, as I'm aware, I'm aware of a big retrospective, uh, maybe two years ago now. I think it was at the when the new, newly opened Palais de Tokyo, Musée d'Art Moderne opened and uh, reopened in Paris. Uh, he actually at the press conference kind of nailed the director uh, of of this place, saying, "Well, why are you choosing my stuff? Why are you showing all this art book that's not intended uh, for the gallery? Was intended for reproduction? And do you know?" anything about where my work's come from. He I mean, like, <laughs> you know, Hogarth and yeah, Gilray yeah. and many, many other great masters that he's come from. And, of course, the director didn't know. Mm-hmm. He just, the reason, almost came out, that the reason he was chosen is because a lot of contemporary fine artists had cited Crum as being an influence. Wow. And wow. that was why he was there. And it was a lovely show, but it was, you just know it's it, it, kind it, of it, odd. It wasn't
0: well-informed.
1: Not particularly, well, no, no. Well-intentioned, perhaps. Right, right, so, right. right.
0: You know, I, I just uh, talking about the exhibits, but I, I, I want to get back for one minute just to graphic novel publishing because hmm. um, you had mentioned earlier uh, Daughter of Her Father's Eyes by uh, Brian and Mary Talbot winning that very prestigious British Literary Prize. and uh, I mean, I have to say I couldn't pick a better book, I think, really hmm. to be representative because it's so uh, erudite and beautiful. And, you know, I, I was pleased to hear you mention Brian actually um, – you know, in that same breath as some of the other really, really epic English cartoonists because, uh, you know, his work is is very inspiring. Uh, you know. Yeah.
1: I, I, he's, he's absolutely in, in his prime right now. Yeah. Uh, quite remarkable. Remarkable what he's doing. Yeah. The yeah. Granville series is... Is much richer than it might appear. It's lots of it's full of wonderful jokes and anthropomorphic stuff. But obviously, it's building we know towards a really major book that's coming out. I think this Christmas. I think it's hopefully out. Uh, and of course, they also have their new book out. We're going to be launching it in fact, at the British Library exhibition, which opens to the public on May the second, runs till August nineteenth. It's called uh, Sarah Heathcote Suffragette. In fact, oh
0: right, yes, right
1: here, which is the new book that Marianne and Brown have done with finished art by Kate Charlesworth, who's another fantastic artist who I know has got. A masterpiece, a graphic novel masterpiece mm-hmm. in her. We, I know it's going to come, but we have to wait mm-hmm.
0: for. Well, how longer. do you?
1: How, this, uh, yeah.
0: how do you see? Um, you know, there's, there's just suddenly just this, this burst of talent um among younger british cartoonists and sure. i mean you know is isabel greenberg with her yeah. you know, oh my
1: god I she's mean, done so well hasn't she i know
0: and i mean this book to me is is i you know came out so late in the year and i wish it gotten more attention but i mean this is a debut graphic novel i mean i i feel like had this been a prose novel you know she'd be like a zadie smith Mm-hmm. Or something you know it 's yeah. such an incredible achievement, but I mean, where are they coming from <laughs> yeah,
1: a lot of it a lot of it does come from um, through the illustration world, and we we have to mention. Uh, lowbrow as being a main a, mm. a major catalyst for that. They've uh, found people like Luke Pierce and of course and John mcnaught and Isabel was actually you know partly working right. for them on, on before moving to uh, uh, to Cape. Um, and so many of these people are, are coming in from an illustration background and also coming in without a lot of the baggage and the trappings and the mm. tropes that kind of can weigh down the wannabe artists who basically have only looked at a few things in comics or or their goal is to draw Batman or whatever right. or Judge Dredd or whatever it might be. They come from all sorts of fresh perspectives. And, of course, a lot of them are coming out from the, the small press self-published scene, which is right. incredibly buoyant now. I mean, the Thought Bubble Festival in Leeds um, is um, has about, I don't know, it's about 300 or 400 tables, exhibitors. It's absolutely phenomenal. I know that's not particularly big to you, perhaps, in America, yeah. but it's no, pretty phenomenal I, it's, for it's, over it's, here. It's a and large. Of those... I should think about at least about maybe half of them or so are people making their own comics and doing them in such individualistic and dynamic ways. It's so inspiring. And that course has a, a perpetuating effect. People get encouraged. There are local scenes happening everywhere. Another key thing... I would say one of the key things, alongside No Brow, as, as, the, as affecting, changing comics here, is um, Ladies Do Comics, which, as you know, has spread to Chicago and had meetings in Brooklyn too, but began in London. And Sarah Lightman and Nicholas Streeton have put together such a, such a supportive uh, network and community, and having these regular monthly meetings um it, it's had a fantastic effect and i, I you're seeing that happen happening around yeah. the country but
0: yeah because you know there used to be a lot of times uh, and it's very sad but you know as as the um instigator of several women's groups myself but oh, a really? lot of times but a lot of times there was this you know there can be only one you know it's uh, like oh there's one woman cartoonist that everybody's going to uh, say is awesome and um, and you know it brought a lot of competition and sadly but I understand why, but now you see everybody really just you know, it like part of the scene. And um yeah. you know, at least here it's 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 you know, there's still some, obviously a lot of problems which I write about ad nauseum but um <laughs> but it's really it's really opened up. Um yes, that has changed. Now you were just to get back, the first time I became aware of you was uh years ago. um with escape magazine which Uh was this awesome fanzine that was coming out from england and um i and, it, and
1: see that then? oh, see- yes,
0: I have them sitting, Paul, I have them, I'm recording this at home, I have them sitting yeah. right, right on my shelf. I I'm have
1: always, oh. I'm very very shocked to hear someone's actually kept yes, them. yes, I've I'm
0: treasured much. them, and I you even were have
1: about five at the time they came out, I don't know I mean, yes, I went I... Into age, but I have found quite a few people were surprisingly much younger than I thought Yes well,
0: I was indeed a child, very small child, it and had been, um things up for you a little bit uh,
1: I'm it? sorry. Did it open things up to and
0: oh, absolutely yeah. yeah it was very inspiring in fact i i wore my escape button for a long time <laughs> uh that came with i think it was the first issue yes. uh but uh, i but in, in these comics it was it was a combination Uh, of comics and reviews and and you know a comics magazine. It was a was a hybrid sort. Exactly. Yeah, and there was a lot of really great cartoonists in there though. Um, you know I think Eddie Campbell was in there, Glenn Dakin, and um, I mean how do you? So there was a lot of underground energy at that time
1: too. There was. That was that was another extraordinary period in the early 80s, mid when when that all took off. And that could have been where we are now, except it was all maybe a bit too soon. There wasn't the uh, momentum behind it. And maybe I think also we have the kind of huge distraction of the success of both Dark Knight Returns and and Watchmen, which tended to kind of then swamp everything else. And great works that should have caught on over here. One would have thought things like Love and Rockets for a start would have been more successful Titan books tried them very valiantly and also translated some great European stuff, but it didn't click with enough of a, of a, of a public. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a lot of the time it's just generational and it has to be patient and it has to be persistent and um, change comes. It's like anything, it's like so many good things in, 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 in every, every aspect of humanity, they take time. We take time to get it right, uh-huh. but it does come. And the more time you spend pursuing it and persisting with it, the more it can eventually change. And so we're in a time right now in the UK that I think back in the 80s when starting Escape, I could barely mm-hmm. have imagined uh, the amount of good stuff happening, the amount of events, the number of creators that are really doing great stuff. That said, I do think Escape discovered some extraordinarily distinctive voices. I mean, um, which I'm not saying that they don't exist now, but I'm glad you mentioned Eddie, of course, and and Glenn Dickin, but people like Chris Reynolds and Carol Swain and Ed Pinsent, Phil Elliott, many others, some of them, John Bagnell, others who maybe haven't stayed the course or haven't carried on doing comics. Some still are doing them now, but they were really distinctive uh, special voices mm-hmm. and they stand up very well, I think, uh, looking back.
0: Yeah, be... well, well, you know, Carol Swain, I mean, she, she <clears throat> yeah. has a new book coming out, actually, from Fantagraphics. I saw, and, I saw and, a guest. yes. Yeah, so, and I mean, also, I, I, I always like pointing to cartoons like her yeah. where, you know, people are saying i don 't know, I just like pointing out that there were always there were you know women doing really excellent comics before or five minutes ago. Um, well, you know speaking of the history of comics now you do have your new book out, comic arts we do, yes. and this was uh an outgrowth of a show on street art at the Tate where you got um called in to explain comics, I believe, and mm-hmm. then it, it became a book.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, and it's it's part of a series that that are essentially kind of art house monograph introductions for the kind of take Gallery type visitor who maybe is ready to kind of explore a little bit further out of their comfort zones and is curious about what else is out there apart from maybe Chris Ware or, or Mouse for example and typically I've gone and shown them way more stuff than most mm-hmm. people can handle um, and brought in deliberately quite a lot of stuff that's hardly ever been shown in most histories of comics or most surveys of comic huh. comics.
0: Yeah, well I, actually I was going to say, I mean for an introduction to comics I think you've kind of planted the flag on... Um on a lot of stuff that that isn't even traditionally mentioned as as part of the yeah. history of comics. I mean, I mentioned, I, you know, I, I, on my, my own website, Comic Speed, I kind of went on a little rant recently where uh, that was kind of ripping off of something Frank Santoro, the educator and, and cartoonist, had written about, um, you know, the kind of orthodox history of comics, and he called it Pap Pap Comics, and, um, I mean, there is sort of, I think it kind of got laid down by Steranko in his own history of comics and sure, um, yeah. picked up by a lot of people from there. But there's kind of been this this very straightforward United States history of comics uh, yeah. that isn't inaccurate, you know, that goes no, from no. from Little Nemo to Jack Kirby to EC to Robert sure. Crumb and, mm. um, you know, mm. Dark Knight. And because mm. there was a lot more Eddie's along the way than yeah. that narrative suggests. Fine,
1: right. Or tributaries and um yeah, we could get into all those kind of aquatic. Sim- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yes. Was, but yeah, there was, and of course, Stranker was going to do a lot more volumes. I always hoped they are going to be more than just those two volumes. He had other ones planned, of course. And yeah. as so often, Mr. Stranker is one of those great figures that you just wish in another world that he would have just produced vast amounts of comics and comics histories, and we would have had a, a richer legacy than we've got at the yes. moment from dear old Jim, jaunty Jim. Yeah. Are we still waiting for, for a Red Tide? Yeah. Well, as I as am. As. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> but goodness me! I said that's not even new work, is it? No. Anyway, I shouldn't say anything. But I, you know, he's one of the absolute legends, and uh, he, uh, yeah, he just hasn't quite. a well, little I, of
0: them, yeah, could. I think along the way he discovered that uh, he could uh, get by just being Storanko. He didn't have to do anything.
1: <laughs> and you know, I don't really begrudge him that. But no, of course not, not at all. He has every, 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 every all power to him. right, yeah. there is there is that. And I, of course, I'm also ridiculously interested in comics from all over the place. So I've got on my stacks here, I've got a fantastic new book that came out, hang on a minute, and it's called From, hang on, what's it called again? Yeah, From Earth's End. Mm-hmm. Yeah, From Earth's End, the New Zealand, the history of New Zealand comics, New Zealand comics, mm. um, by Adrian Kinnear. It's a really, really fascinating book. There's not a lot mm-hmm. of history of comics in New Zealand, has to be said. I mean, the right. book, if not more, is great examples of recent and current uh, artists. We've all p- probably heard of Dylan Horrocks, but, and Roger Language too is in there, but others too. But it is fascinating to see Another book I've got here is a fantastic book in English uh, 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 being an exhibition about the history of Czech comics, and that's extraordinary with all of the, you can imagine, the turmoil right. of communism and all of the the, the, the the complex history of that country and how that's impacted on comics, and they've got extraordinary stuff that you've never seen written about, and I love that because it's just a bigger narrative of a, hist- a world history, a world perspective is impossible to get. I know it is, um, um, but it's it's something worth trying to Find out more about. I think.
0: Well, we're we are seeing just as the uh, the British comic scene is kind of experiencing a renaissance right now, mm. or I mean a renaissance or a first renaissance, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> um, uh, but I mean it's very exciting to me to see uh, all over the place kind of comics traditions really developing like from the soil it's almost like you could see this little seedling and then you come back five years later and it's a you know it's a little sapling and and all this stuff is happening
1: yeah, it's happening in so many countries, isn't it? And I think it's, it's some, obviously some are still nascent. Some are somewhat swamped by certain um, external influences, whether it's going to be superhero comics or manga, and they're not bad influences. But of course, but ideally, those countries find those, those artists there find their own voices and their own subjects and make it make it their own. But you're right, it, and of course, I am. I also think it's important that we need everything else in place. You obviously need creators. You ideally need publishers, of course. Although the internet does get around that somewhat in and self-publishing and Kickstarter, and I guess you. Also, I think you need people like me. and I'm not bragging or anything, but you need activists. You need people to kind of generate and and kind of communicate and connect. Um, and literally, that is, I see myself more and more as a kind of, as, as an activist. It sounds slightly kind of right on. I should walk around with giant placards or a sandwich board or something all day. But it, it is something I feel strongly about. And it, there are people out there that are doing just that. That will make even if it's, you know, they're doing a blog or a history, they're finding out. You know, they're they're, they're talking to perhaps artists who and who've been forgotten. Uh, this is why this guy in, in in New Zealand did. He found and, and these guys in uh, these people in uh, in the Czech Republic. They researched and found out where the, the comics history came from and linked it up with with the current comics activity. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That's it good.
0: is, and I'm finding that there's so many um, you know young journalists even who are mm-hmm. you know getting into things, and they they to me have a, a very a uh, very wide view of comics, and yeah. that is is you know, so much more broad-based, I think, than, I mean, and they're not suddenly, you know, it's not like they're rejecting superhero comics and and kind of coming to this. It's more like they're growing up in a world where the diversity is is you know, is already available to them. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. That makes all the difference, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, what, um, I mean, with the book, uh, Now, what do you, I mean, what kind of feedback have you gotten on it? It's, it's already out in England. It just launched yes. this month here in the U.S., so, uh, you know, what kind of feedback have you gotten?
1: Very good indeed, Ashley. thanks, Heidi. Yeah, I mean, um, it's been chosen as People's Books of the Year, and, uh, and people, I think, are surprised by the stuff I put in it, and I knew uh that, that there are going to be some familiar stories and some familiar material because there is a kind of ground ground base a foundation of comics history which you can't ignore of course and greats that you have to acknowledge but i wanted to make sure that that uh, it tried to kind of break out of that and break away into opening up territories that haven't been looked at as much and artists who've been under acknowledged and so and i think one of the underexplored areas is um, which i which i do touch on uh, are there more experimental comics that came out say in the well, certainly sixties and seventies, um, yeah. which are not really published within or acknowledged within the the, the comics community. Um, they're often kind of more uh, art experiments. They're they're published by unusual, sometimes literary or, or um, you know graphic design type publishers. So to include work like *The Cage* by Martin Vaughan James, who happens to be <laughs> happens to be born in Bristol, right. so he's sort of British basically, but it was published in Canada. That's an, an extraordinarily strange book.
0: Right, I've heard There's of this book. Like, and...
1: Yeah, there are other things like that. I forget it was called, Poem oh. Comics, I think it was called, it was by Dino Buzzati, which is like late 60s. All of this stuff is going on around the late 60s, early 70s, when you've got that kind of pop art um, and kind of connections with poetry and literature, taking an interest in comics. And there are things there, I think even more, I have just literally just in the last week or so got, got hold of a, uh, a graphic novel that I didn't know much about, written by Julio Cortazar. I believe it's his... Centenary of some sort this year. Uh, I can't remember the name of the artist, but it's one of these, again, slightly lost things from the mid late 70s where you find someone like Cortesar actually writing a graphic novel. And I find these things fascinating that they've kind of slipped away a bit and we can look at them again now and recover them and and reassess them and, and see what we can learn from them
0: right well there was a a very large interest in comics by the kind of hipster culture you yeah. know uh that was you know wannabe counterculture mm. of the 60s and 70s i mean you know fellini yeah. obviously uh yeah. you know did some comics and was involved
1: with them yeah yeah you're quite right and so that that era i think is worth worth mining a bit more i'm sure there's more stuff that's kind of slipped through the the, the net as it were um and that hopefully also will come out in the um the comics on mars exhibition we have found some fascinating material that's never been exhibited before and speaking of which we've also looked back in the british library exhibition we've gone back to the 19th century because so there's been a general kind of underthinking that comics readers if you think about say, american newspaper comics Uh, in the Sunday Papers, for example, were read by a lot of kind of, shall we say, the new immigrants, people were using using comics almost as a kind of like a a primer or primer, as you say, Mm -hmm. for learning the English language in some ways. Um, uh, But in fact, um, and in Britain, certainly there's always the idea that comics readers tend to be sort of, uh, shall we say, not... The, 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 the upper echelons of right. society. But this, ma- these two, this magazine, Illustrated London News, which is, as you can imagine, it was a big news magazine, newspaper, um, ran incredible comics, which have only just recently been um, properly assessed and, and researched by people like Thierry Smulderen, a great expert uh, based at Angoulême. Um, and, we've, and we've got, of course, the BL's got whole complete runs of this, and we've found incredible things there. Uh, and you realize that these yeah. are beautiful, full colour comics. Way before Yellow Kid, um, a lot of them very socially funny. Some of the most fascinating ones, actually, that appear in the graphic, another newspaper from that period, are actually based on the readers sending in their own experiences in sketch form and and being turned into uh, comics by their staff artists. Wow. This is going on in the 1880s, 1890s. nineties, isn't think, what the hell? But this is amazing stuff. And wow. it's been kind of swirled away. And you think the history book, the history of comics is, is, is going to go on being rewritten because we've not been able to dig deep enough into where it's, where it's been and what it's done. And it's, it's very exciting. As you, as you saw with that wonderful Society is Nick's book that uh, Peter Mareska put out, which again, Oh, yeah, yeah. extraordinary. Oh, yeah. A century ago or more ago. Uh, you know, as innovative as anything, you'd find today in... In you know mold map or or any of the any other experimental anthology, famous God or something like that. Yeah.
0: Well, now you know you mentioned mold map, which is a British Mm -hmm. anthology that is. Do you see
1: one? Do you see the new one? Uh,
0: You know, I haven't seen it in person. I've seen some excerpts online, but
1: it's wild. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it is wild. I mean, talk yeah. about experimental, and and yet so much of it, I feel, is is you know grounded in an aesthetic that is very accessible. You know, I mean, I think, uh, I I mean, it's it's always fascinating to me that that I find so many emerging comics readers really fascinated by this stuff, and I, I think a little bit of it is kind of like the indie music vibe. I mean, I think indie yeah, really. comics are kind of like indie music right now, where you have this favorite mm-hmm. band, and you know, you don't want them to sell out a little bit. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, where do you... I mean, this is a really dumb, broad question, but um, I mean, what do you think the next thing is going to be? I mean, where do you, you know, what do you think will be the next <laughs> hot trend in comics?
1: Well, of course, we've been on and on about digital comics, and my, my, my last chapter you know, looks at that uh, and certainly questions whether we're going to be losing the all-important, I think, the vital reader control of the comics page, which uh, if we if comics get more and more like sort of bad animation, basically, like these motion comics. Oh, these, God, motion uh, oh, comics. I understand they're a useful marketing tool, which, of course, is to a large extent what a lot of mainstream comics are still serving as now as marketing tools but um one of the things i'm interested in which i'm looking into and i've written briefly about um and i'm doing a talk actually with an author named uh yoon haito so i have his name I'm probably wrong he's a korean anyway And he's one of these extraordinary webtoonists, as they call them, who do serialized, I think daily, I think it's daily, installments of comics made for the mobile phone. Um, And they are, these are not just sort of minor sort of little glitches within the comics world. These things are apparently downloaded by 10 million Koreans a day. And they are, people are addicted to possibly sort of 8, 10, 12, whatever, different ongoing storylines. And they are really, really quite strong, interesting, powerful stories. They're not made for, for book form. In fact, surprisingly, his work hasn't come out in book form. it's only, uh, in, in Korea, but it has done in Japan. It's uh-huh. been made into live-action movies, which have been hugely successful as well. And you think, now that's an interesting delivery route, and it's partly based because Korea has got extraordinary you know ubiquitous Wi-fi um, and, and cheap Wi-fi and high uh-huh. you know, high and all this kind of thing. I mean... uh, but people really engage with these stories, they interact, they send in comments and suggestions and things and that's a very exciting form of comics that is not just digital comics or stuff sitting around on your iPad or whatever it's actually, it changes the form completely because of course the format of the comic is a continuous vertical scroll so obviously in terms of length A chapter length can be as long or as short as you decide to make it. Um, It's not, of course, necessarily that well adapted or adaptable, should we say, into into book form, Um, but it is a very fascinating development.
0: It is a little bit hard to kind of sit here, you and I, you know, having watched so much of this stuff happen, and then at the end, you kind of have to say, hmm, that will never be a book you know that will exist as a digital artifact yeah and and you know digital artifacts are very very vulnerable
1: to time
0: Mm. and and you know deletion and everything i mean in a way a book is almost more permanent
1: yeah absolutely it's a great shame for example that nothing survives of dave mckean's um first very exciting experiment with digital comics called club salsa Mm -hmm. it was done i think sometime in the late 90s or so and uh I mean, we've got images from it in the book, but of course, it's nothing like the experience of reading it and navigating it.
0: Right, right.
1: And it seems to be gone. I'd be lucky to find some way to, to you know, recreate it. Well,
0: it would, you know, all someone would have had to do was download it, but, you know, yeah. it probably was on a PsyQuest disk or a floppy disk, mm-hmm. you know, that nobody uses anymore. And, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. you so know... It's go fast. Fast. You're quite
1: right, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So a lot of these things are very ephemeral, but you're absolutely right. It's, you know, it's a storytelling medium... Um, the possibilities are mind-boggling. I mean, really it's are. just, um, you know, I mean, Emily Carroll's very I mean, better known here. Yeah, uh, she's,
1: got, she's got what's coming out over here from Faber, which is another good yeah, sign. Yeah, well, she's <laughs> getting behind comics. Yeah,
0: right, right. Do you think, do you see, one more question and then, um, you know, one more vague open-ended futuristic question. Uh <laughs> But, uh, I I mean, with the interest of, like, Jonathan Cape and Faber and and mainstream publishers in graphic novels in in Britain, um, I mean, you know, we kind of went through that here in the United States, and a little bit, you know, English language, about 10, 12 years ago when Persepolis, it's actually about 10 years ago, and, and, um, you know, and then it kind of, like people made unwise choices and gave people huge advances and it was kind of like never again but um you know i mean now there seems to be a different kind of a you know maybe not this idea the impression i get is not that oh we're going to publish you know encyclopedia of early earth and it's going to sell eight trillion copies um Mm -hmm. you know the expectations are maybe a little bit more uh uh, a little more realistic but um i mean do you think this is here to stay or is this another uh experiment with with a dance a, a, an ephemeral dance
1: with graphic yeah, novels yes i suppose an ephemeral dance yes i mean or it was used the phrase was used a false dawn was describing yes right. yes it is that uh when we had mouse and then Watchmen and dark knight all at that at the three at the triple whammy as it were I think uh, the signs are more positive this time. I don't think it's we're going to have this kind of um, fickle, sort of uh, dilettante kind (laughs) of flirtation with the medium. Because I mean, certainly the publishers I've talked, I've talked to, uh, like for example Dan, the the confusing Dan Frank, because there's a Dan Frank at Pantheon, the Dan Franklin at, in fact, there's two Dan Franks. Yes, I know. Which is even more confusing. One's called Dan, does their web stuff. Um, I think um, you know, he really is he's passionate about this stuff. It, he, it's, it's, and he's got, obviously, he's got bottom lines to to figure out but he keeps on finding remarkable artists. Um, I mean the most recent, the one book I think I'm very excited about this year already from the UK I've mentioned is uh, Just So Happens by Fumio Obata who's Japanese but I mean it's based over here I've known him for quite a long time and his book is absolutely beautiful, touching, um, it's going to be, like Now Brown, one of those kind of revelatory books that you go, oh my god this is how graphic novels can be and it's a lovely kind of hybrid sort of fusion of uh, Manga techniques and certainly European techniques there's a bit of Manuele Fior, the Italian artist is in his work, his watercolor work and uh, it 's a very powerful, very powerful personal story and uh, so yeah, I think the There is the risk that if obviously people kind of put all their eggs in one basket and it goes horribly wrong, then clearly that is a problem. And it doesn't always work if you get some celebrity to write their their graphic novel just because they've got the big name on them. And enough of those kind of things have happened. Uh, I think all the signs are pretty, pretty optimistic. I guess the other thing is that fortunately, there's a little bit more engagement now between, say, America and Britain and the European particularly French market, the fact you know, that you, of course, came over to Angoulême, but there have been quite a few American publishers and pundits have been at Angoulême for the last couple of years, thanks to, to Ivanka, I forget her surname. But Ivanka, Ivanka,
0: yeah, Heikenberger, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's made a big difference, because there's not always been enough, quite enough communication there um, to sort of link these markets together, and that, that should hopefully develop, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's it, as I keep saying. One of my watchwords is it's global now. You know, yeah. because something yeah. happens and somebody tweets about it, and um, you
1: know, unless it can, it can come from anywhere, I right? Say. Yeah. Unless
0: Google is blocked in your country, uh, <laughs> you're good to go. So, um, well, you know, we could sit here. Um, um, you know, guessing and blue skying and getting excited and, and talking about all the incredible things that that we haven't even touched on, actually, Paul. And you're such an expert on all of them. You also wrote a book called 1001 Comics That You Must Read Before You Die. I have a, that book is also sitting here right on my shelf. I have a little bit of a Paul Gravett shelf, to be honest.
1: Um, <laughs> well, to be accurate, I didn't actually write all of those. Yes. I, you know, I was, was going to write more than I was managed to. because I was too busy actually managing the the Right. The, the, you know getting everybody else to do it yeah but I, that's an that, it's got it's got some mistakes in it Heidi. to be honest with you there are it was done in an extraordinary rush mm-hmm. absurd because you know the, the project had to go from being greenlit at frankfurt book fair in about october to being sort of ready and done to go off the printers by about sort of january february i was working all through Angoulême that year to try and, do, <laughs> uh, and i thought i was but it was fun to all people you know was 70 contributors around the world. I mean, we only got one comic from Indonesia and we got one comic from the Philippines from Jenny Anguilan, but we did get it in and I have to say, initially, the um, the publishers, especially the American one, was not talking on having anything in that wasn't translated. But in the end, we wangled in something like at least ten to fifteen percent of stuff that's not that wasn't translated then. Which, but I but stuff that I kind of knew was probably going to get translated, I uh, would certainly deserve to be. And as a result, we put a very nice, uh, you know, big survey, uh, a mind-expanding survey. That was the, that's the goal. And the great thing about it is it's being adaptive wherever it goes. I was in Prague last um, October for the Czech. And there they've been able to tweak it and change text entries, not picture entries, to add um, 10 you know, local Czech um, mm-hmm. species. And I love, that. I love that the French and German have actually got 100 different entries. So there's no there's no agreement. There's no consensus. Right. Globally. <laughs> well, so there's... 2001? How could there be? Could there be? <laughs> there could enough, be. A... Even isn't enough. Either. Right.
0: That's true. It truly isn't. And, you know, this podcast is not enough time. Talk. Um but perhaps we'll have you back on as a as a guest again in the future. Um I'd love it. Yeah, yeah. But well thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for taking the time today to, to fill us play. in. All right.